Sari here. Before we get started on this episode, I wanted to briefly share an update and thank some people who made this episode possible. You can join our SLP Happy Hour Club and get bonuses at www.patreon.com slash slphappyhour. That is Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Our first level is for $2 monthly. You can get your name on the podcast. For $5 monthly, you will get exclusive bonuses. And our current bonuses include extended interviews and all sorts of information on different workplace settings, including private practice, travel SLP, and telepractice. And there is new bonus content going up all the time. For the $5 monthly level, you can check out those current videos and more. We wanted to thank Eric X. Raj, Deborah Brooks, Anne Page of Beautiful Speech Life, and Mary Hollowell, who are currently a part of our Patreon group. Thank you all for sponsoring this podcast. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. Our goal is to provide you with a way to listen to real conversations on work by real SLPs. We are full-time SLPs in the trenches. These are honest conversations, and we hope that they are helpful, fun, and make your work and home life more manageable. I'm Sarah Lockhart, and with me is Sari. I'm an SLP of more than 10 years, and I work in a variety of settings, and I enjoy talking anything workplace or self-care related. I'm also a major fan of British television, and all my pets are named after Downton Abbey characters. (laughs) And for what it's worth, The Great British Baking Show is an awesome binge watch. For all those stressful work times, it's so relaxing. And I'm Sari Wu a clinical fellow, SLP, finishing up my first year. I hope our listeners will find my experiences and insights relatable and helpful for dealing with their first year and day-to-day SLP challenges and adventures. And Sarah, I too am a fellow British TV show fan. I love The Great British Baking Show. I watch it often. Just the intro music makes me feel happy. I loved Downton Abbey, I loved Call the Midwife, and I just started watching Victoria, and I'm loving that show too. Mm, I adore Call the Midwife, but I haven't started watching Victoria. I'll check it out. Do it. I think you'll I think you'll like it. I'm not completely caught up yet, but I've really enjoyed it so far. And so if you're a new listener, yes, we do talk about more than just British television. We couldn't help ourselves. Mm-mm, we certainly couldn't. So this is a podcast to discuss beyond British TV shows, work, life, and taking care of ourselves in a profession full of ups and downs. I hope that by tuning in, we can all feel less alone, less isolated, and more empowered to be great SLPs. This episode, we answer a listener question about how to build a relationship with hard-to-reach clients, we discuss what's happening in our speech rooms right now, and I'll fess up to a lesson gone wrong. We'll also discuss how to get over fear of using AAC, or F-O-U-A, and later in the show we'll interview Anne Page of Beautiful Speech Life about that topic. First up, a listener question. 
You know, this is another good one. So it's how do you establish rapport with difficult clients mm. or clients that aren't easy to click with? Mm-hmm. Right. I remember having professors in college talking to us about how this was something that was hard to teach new clinicians. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you're going to click with every client every time, but we certainly do try. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, clients don't work with SLPs that they don't like. So it's an essential part of our job. Right. Whether you're working with children or adults, you do need to build that rapport and that relationship. It's essential. So I feel like I need to make a disclaimer statement here that I'm still a CF. I don't have the perfect system yet, but here's what I've tried so far. I make a note of their interests and do my best to connect with them. I work with students right now across the ages, and it's easier for me to establish rapport with the younger students. Uh, That's just for me right now. Um, I try to remember the games that they tell me they like to play, and I'll sometimes bring them if I can. And it means a lot to kids across the ages when you remember what they told you. With my older students, or even with adults, this can be more difficult, Um, but I've come to view it as kind of a trial and error process. And I just keep trying to find that common ground with difficult clients. It takes a lot of active listening and questioning and sometimes letting some of that objective therapy work move to the back burner for a moment in order to build that rapport. But building that connection is so important and can make a big impact on how they'll progress in therapy. Mm -hmm. I once worked in an alternative high school And for some of those kids, there weren't a lot of adults in their lives that they could trust. Mm -hmm. So part of that was just giving them time to establish trust with a new adult, which was me. So be consistent and be a consistent adult in their lives. Show up, listen and care. Talk a little about your own life. I mean, don't give details, but keep the rapport going and then open up a little. So I might say something like, Oh, I made pumpkin bread over the weekend. And a student might tell me they actually love baking. So sharing a little general knowledge about ourselves goes a long way. Obviously, you don't make it only about you. But by disclosing some general things, it can really open up clients to ask questions, make comments, and see if you Mm -hmm. have any mutual interests. And with teens and adults, building rapport goes that way. So Sari... You've done some work with adults recently, too. How did you build rapport with them? Similar to the way that I work with my teen students, if I'm having a harder time connecting with adult client, I'll listen a lot more and maybe even do a little research. I recently had a client who was very interested in cars, and I am I know nothing about cars. I'm the type of person who goes into a big parking lot and I have to look for my license plate number to recognize my car because it's just a white car to me. I, I won't recognize it <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> so sometimes I'll do a little research and try to connect with them in those areas of interest. And I really try to pay attention to what their passions are, what they like to talk about. Yeah, with adults... A lot of it is the same basic idea, listening and providing support to the client's area of interest. When I've worked with adults who are talking quite a lot, some of that session is just trying to get us back on track Mm -hmm. too. So that's another clinical skill. (laughs) But I remember one adult client liked cooking. So I chatted with him a bit about, you know how it's hard to get that garlic smell off your fingers when you chop the fresh garlic? And 
he came in the next session with some ideas for me. And that was a surprise. I thought we were just, you know, shooting the breeze for the first few minutes of the session. But I tell you, that time is valuable. It is. Our, our clinical education is all about data. That's important. But this rapport building is essential no matter what population you work with. Mm-hmm. And Sari, I know that building rapport for children on the autism spectrum or children with complex communication needs mm-hmm. can sometimes be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you work in self-contained classrooms with lots of kids with complex communication needs. So how do you build rapport with them? And is there anything specific that helped you at the start of this year when the all these kids were new to you? Well, I started out the year investigating what my kiddos would work for and trying to build tools that would help me establish a clear routine from the get-go. My first sessions, as I'm sure many SLPs out there can relate to, are all about establishing rapport and establishing a speech room routine with my students. I called parents, I reviewed files, I talked with teachers, and did what I could to find out some background ahead of time about what my students were interested in, what they liked to do, so I was as stocked as I could be that first, that first day. I think figuring out their interests when it came to establishing rapport, along with having lots of visual aids and tools in place ahead of time, helped me support setting up that routine that would really make them feel safe and comfortable uh, when they came to work with me in the speech room and made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like having a predictable routine and, and knowing what your clients would work for, what their areas of interest were, was essential. Mm -hmm. So no matter where you work, no matter what population you work with, building rapport and that back and forth chatting is a part of our session that has so much value and can get overlooked. And to some extent, it just takes time. So hang in there. And speaking of hanging in there, we have both been chatting about the ups and downs of our work lives lately when we are off the air. Mm -hmm. Is it time to bring those conversations into our on-air time and share them with our listeners? Sure. Uh, Every once in a while, we do a check-in where we talk about what's happening in our work world right now. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity for us to get ideas from each other and a chance to get really real about our work lives. So I'll get really real in this podcast since it's what we do, whether it's hard or easy. You've got that right. So lately, I've been running late chronically, not to work, but for everything else. And I really don't like to be late. I feel like it's just not like me. So it's not. I was being hard on myself. Why can't I make it to this thing? It's so important. And also, I really value not keeping other people waiting. I hate that feeling. And I really also don't like that feeling of being really stressed and really rushed when you're trying to get out the door. I feel like that's when I forget things. And it just feels bad. It's the worst. I've been going through a period of doing that exact same thing. Mm. So it sounds like it might be a sticking point for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure it out. So I'm going to practice what I preach and be kinder to myself. So instead of feeling bad about it, I decided to turn it around. Why am I late? What's going on? And I realized I'm not late because I'm a bad 
person. (laughs) I'm late because I'm chronically overbooked and I do value being on time. So I need to make some life changes. You're not about to announce that we're going to decrease the podcast, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Heck no. This podcast gives me so much energy and it's now become a part of my own self-care routine and a way to exercise my creative juices. Plus, our (laughs) listeners are the best and I just adore them, so I'm not going anywhere. All right. Good. Glad to hear it. So what are you changing? So... I'm trying a few things, and one is having more uninterrupted work time where I can make progress on my massive to-do list. Another is looking at all the things I'm doing and figuring out if they really need to be done right now. Some do, so I'll do them, and I, I think some things can wait. Good advice, and good to remember as many of us are getting ready for summer events, prioritize what you need to get done first. Yes, You have a massive to-do list, but you'll get it done, and you can get them done tomorrow. Or next week, or the week after that. (laughs) So, Sari, what's going on in your speech world lately? What are you struggling with or problem-solving through? Well, so recently, my district has been discussing what the speech program is going to look like for next year, and it looks like many of the SLPs, actually, I think all of us, are going to be in new speech placements next year. And right now it looks like I'll be serving a middle school and an elementary school next year. And the principal of the elementary school offered me a classroom if I'd like to use that instead of the small office space that's currently the speech room. So I'm having a big debate about which space I'd prefer to use. Those decisions are so hard. Do you need any help? Yeah, I I think right now I just need some time to think about it and figure out what I'll do for next year. It's nice to have the option, but it's actually a harder decision than it sounds like. I, mm-hmm. I think I need to see the new space again and weigh the pros and cons and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so hard to choose something like that because it's where you're going to be hanging out every day right. or most days. So, um, yeah, I know the feeling of just needing to take some time and think about it. Yes, I need some of that extended processing time. So any other news from your speech room? Sure. Yeah, I was thinking we could reinstate our Lessons Gone Wrong segment. All right. Well, I started last time. I think it's your turn. Okay. So this segment is about when you plan the lesson, you've got everything set up and ready to go, and the lesson is a flop. So sometimes we learn from our Lessons Gone Wrong. Sometimes we just laugh about them, but we always share them because, heck, why not? (laughs) I love hearing about these lessons as a CF because it's nice to hear that everyone has lessons gone wrong. Last time I shared about struggling with making things a little bit too competitive in my speech room. And up this week, Sarah, you have a lesson gone wrong and it's time to fess up. Yeah, I'm going to proudly wear my lesson gone wrong badge of shame because I'm, <laughs> I'm totally okay with it. So, And I think this one is more of a funny story and just a lesson gone sort of kind of wrong. Even better. So, I was working with a young client, and I was using the, I think it's pronounced Burem, speech sound cues cards. They're kind of like the Kaufman cards, but they're much more affordable, and they're just sounds. So, I'll link them in the show notes. Anyway, I had the N sound to point out, and then the D sound, because my client said donut or something that sounded like it when he was trying to say noodles, and noodles was his favorite food, so this was a big deal. 
So transitioning between activities, I'd point to the card and we'd practice new dolls. And he, you know, he needs a lot of repetitive practice. So he went home and his parents were the next week, you know, preparing to come back and kind of prepping him for it and asking if he remembered me from the week before. Um, well, my little client was like, Sarah, who's that? I don't remember. And so his parents were explaining some of the things we did and the activities we'd done. And when they mentioned the noodle part, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember her. She's Sarah Noodles. <laughs> oh, so from now until forever, I am Sarah Noodles to this kid. He actually thinks that my name is Noodles. So he hasn't tried to call me Ms. Noodles, but every time he's like, hey, Sarah Noodles, can we do such and such next? I just crack up. It might be a joke, but I honestly think that he thinks my name is Sarah Noodles. So I always wanted a nickname and now I guess I've got it. So if you see me around, just call me Sarah Noodles. (laughs) That's adorable. And I'm really glad that you shared that because Noodles might be my new nickname for you too. (laughs) That is so cute. Yeah. And on a more sobering note, I same client. I have some dolls and one is a grandma, you know, with the middle hair part and the gray uh-huh, hair and the button uh-huh. back end. And the same kid was like, oh, Sarah Noodles, this is you, <laughs> as he was showing me the doll. And to be fair, I was wearing my hair, you know, parted in the middle with the ponytail in the back. So the hair was kind of the same, I mm-hmm. guess. And he wasn't trying to be mean. He just honestly wanted the grandma to be me or for me <laughs> to play with it or he thought I looked like the grandma. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. So I'm happy to be Sarah Noodles, but don't you dare call me grandma unless you are an adorable preschooler. (laughs) Kids say the darndest things, right? But I can assure you, Sarah, that you do not look like a grandma. Thank the Lord. Um, If this makes you feel better, one of my students predicted that I was 100 years old the other day. (laughs) So so there you go. (laughs) You're actually younger than me, so that makes me feel way, way better. So thanks for sharing, 100-year-old. No problem, Grandma Noodles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, if there ever was a segment that I wanted to transition faster away from, I can't remember what it would be. So let's move away from our lessons gone wrong and transition to something that's going oh so right. Sari and I are starting to do interviews on this podcast, and we are really excited about it. Yes, it gives us a chance to do even more SLP talk and meet new and interesting SLPs. So I'm glad that we started to do interviews. And up next, we have an interview with Anne Page from Beautiful Speech Life, who really seems to do it all. She runs a newly opened online AAC Academy, and we'll link to that in our show notes too. She runs the beautiful Speech Life blog. She has an amazing social media following. She sells Stella and Dot jewelry and the cutest SLP mugs you have ever seen. Yes, she does yes. so much that I think I'm going to need a breather just after talking about it and introducing <laughs> her. Uh, she really is the original SLP boss, and we are so glad to have her coming up on the show. Yes, and we've got her on the line now, and we're excited about this interview. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we start our interviews with a lightning round of questions. They're quick and easy questions just to get to know you better. Are you up for that? I'm ready. All right, here we go. When you were a kid, you wanted to grow up to be a rock star. <laughs> if you weren't an SLB, SLP, you would be a rock star. 
One word that describes being an SLP is? Challenging. Favorite SLP material? iPad. The best way for you to de-stress is to? Okay, honestly, drink wine. Yes, it's, it is relaxing. Favorite SLP snack? Chocolate, dark chocolate. As an SLP, you really appreciate people who? Are kind and thoughtful. You're here. Uh, what's your favorite TV show? I don't watch TV. Oh, that's how you get so much done. <laughs> <laughs> favorite fallback lesson material? A book. Uh, where should the next ASHA conference be held? Oh, I would love it if it was here in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Something you've always wanted to try? Extensive traveling. Mm -hmm. And last one, if you had $100 to spend on SLP materials, you'd buy? Hmm. I would probably buy some apps. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Good yeah, choice. like especially a communication app or something that's kind of more expensive that you can never find money for. All right. So those were the quick questions. So now we're going to get into the meat of the interview. And first up, Anne, can you tell us how you became an SLP and also what keeps you sticking to being an SLP? Because that's a little different. You know, when I got into the business, what I thought it would be like and what it is like is different. So the reason I got into the profession is not the same reason that I am staying in the profession. It, it has been a very winding journey for me to um, to be honest, I got my undergrad degree in speech pathology and audiology a really long time ago, and I didn't do anything with it. I decided I graduated and I was going to get my master's degree and I felt like I needed a break. And so I went to work in an office. I wanted to be able to wear the cool clothes and work in an office. And it was a shopping center developing company. And then I ended up moving up through the ranks with them and I got into marketing and I was um, a mall marketing director, actually a, like a very big mall here in Phoenix, a couple of different ones. I was a marketing director for them. And then I went on to do other marketing things. I moved to Canada and I worked as a, a, an artist, an exhibiting artist, and then I decided I wanted to do something really meaningful and I thought well maybe I'll try the whole SLP thing I never did anything like that and then I I found they said well you don't have any experience to do anything so I volunteered for a year in a classroom and then I was able to get a job as an SLPA in Canada and then I moved back to Phoenix and saw an ad that said that you could get a job as an SLP with a four-year degree on a limited license. And that was in, that was in 2006. And I did that and fell in love with the job. I was actually quite overwhelmed, but also fell in love with the job. And then thought I could read the writing on the wall. And I thought I have to get a master's degree. And so I did that. And so I worked and um, I worked and went to online school at night and I got my master's degree 
And what was the second part of it? Yeah, what keeps you in the profession? Oh, it's it's because I I'm a person that easily gets uh, I get bored and I change my mind, and I think that's just part of, maybe part of being creative. And within this profession, I don't get bored ever because there's always a challenge and it's, it, it's huge. I mean, we can, if you decide that you don't work, want to work in the school anymore, you could go and do private practice. You could do teletherapy. You could go and work with adults. I mean, I, I don't ever feel trapped. Okay. And also I love the feeling. I feel like my whole life I was searching for, I just wanted to do something important. I wanted to help people. I wanted to feel like, and maybe this sounds cheesy, but I wanted to feel like when I leave this world, I'm leaving it a better place because mm-hmm. I was here. And I feel like in many small ways, we're able to do that every day as an SLP. Wow. And I know that one of the ways that, you know, you are um, putting your imprint on the world is through your area of interest or one of them, which is AAC, which is Augmentative and Alternative Communication. So can you maybe tell us a story of a time when you've really been able to connect with a client or a client's family through the use of AAC so that we can kind of understand what that's like and why that's so important? Yes, for sure. I I just kind of really stumbled into AAC. It was not really my intention, but just because of the clientele that I was working with. So I had a student that uh, I got him when he was in kindergarten. He had he has autism, nonverbal, and he's just one of those kids that I felt like there was so much locked inside of him and I wanted to help him so badly but I did not know how. And so I remember every year uh, feeling so bad at his IEP meeting and thinking, oh my gosh, I failed this kid. I just don't know how to help him. And then I think this was maybe the, th- the third year I was working with him. And he, we noticed that he started to say, he was very interested in, in animals and started to say animal names. Mm-hmm. And so we started building on that and we were able to get a communication device for him. And also we used uh, low tech, we used picture symbols and just building on the animals, we were able to get him to say, you know, start using some core and say more of what type of animal he wanted or I want and gradually build, build, build. And then over the course of the I worked with him for five years and by the end of the five years he had joint attention he could look at you he could um, speaking was still not natural to him and it was painful to him you could tell but he was able to communicate as a total communicator and to be able to see that and over the course of time like that and to understand that it's not a quick fix, but that it can make a lasting change is really, really powerful. Absolutely. I, uh, this is my, this is Sarah here, the 
clinical fellow. <laughs> and my very first job was working with students with complex communication needs. And I was so overwhelmed. I, I just felt like I didn't know exactly where to start. And, or, or, yeah, I, I felt like I, how could they put me in this position where I, I, these kids are, are not going to get what they need from this brand new person. <laughs> and, um, I was really, really so nervous. And, um, I, so I, I've been looking online and I saw that you are offering that AAC Academy. And I, when I was reading your description of it, I just thought, oh my gosh, she's describing me. <laughs> this is exactly what I was going through. Can you talk a little bit about the AAC Academy and who it's for? Yes, I'd love to. I'm so excited about AAC Academy because I created what I wish I had back then. I, I, and I have talked to so many SLPs that feel the same way. Like you're certainly not alone in that, Sari. It's it's just a challenging field. Mm -hmm. and so I thought, okay, if we could, you know, if I can connect and give people the resources, because when you start looking, when you start looking for resources, it's overwhelming because let's face it, we don't have a lot of time and right. then you start digging through and then you, you squirrel and you're like, pretty soon you don't know where you're at and you're like, I can't do this. And so I thought, okay, if I would have had someone that said, hey, I've been there, Try, look at these resources, these really work, how can I help you? Um, mm -hmm. and, and also just have someone that you feel like has your back. And that's what I'm trying to do through the AAC Academy is be there like a coach where, where the members can say, and I'm stuck, like I don't know how to get started with this child. And also to help the SLPs function as a coach for their team because mm -hmm. let's face it, we're only with the kids a very brief amount of time. Yes. We get the people on board that are with those kiddos all the time. So we need to get the parents on board. We need to get the teachers on board. We need to get the staff on board. Right. And that is the part that's really challenging. Right. When this year I've learned that the people that I really need to recruit are the educational assistants and, and uh, especially the ones that work uh, with, it, you know, regularly in these classrooms and, and model with them and get them as they're working with the kiddos to implement what we're trying. And, and once, once you get them on, on board, it's amazing what the kids start doing. I know, exactly. And it's, it's just you know, um, I feel like it's them more than it's me sometimes. <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's, it can be difficult to get buy-in because if it was as easy as saying, Hey, this is going to work, do it. Then everybody would be able to do it, but it doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. It's because we're dealing with people and all of their fears and all of their needs. And it's just trying to come together as a team and find little niches and little pockets of opportunity where they think, oh, okay, I can do that and then build on that. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like with AAC, there's a logistical piece, like um, what are you going to try? How are you going to try it? What is your objective going to be? But there's also a huge emotional piece. And if we as speech language pathologists are feeling intimidated, um, 
Then as we're training, like for example, teachers or classroom assistants, think about how intimidated they'll feel as we train them. Exactly, exactly. So it's removing that, it's making that scariness, it's making it become familiar so that they become, you know, some of the first steps in the training if a student is using a device or even people even get intimidated by a core board, uh, just showing, just showing them some ways to use it and keeping it really simple and not overwhelming people with too much information too soon. And you do so much to help children with AAC, but also you're doing a lot to support other SLPs through your Instagram account, through your AAC Academy. If there was a summary or a thesis statement of of sorts, something that you would want SLPs to know if you could get the message to them, uh, what would it be? About AAC? Yes. It would be that it's just language. We know this. We are just teaching a different access method for language. And once we can get past that, then we can totally do it. And that you don't need to do it alone. You can reach out, get some help. You don't have to do it perfectly. Just, I think a lot of SLPs are perfectionists, myself included. I'm like a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) Like sometimes not, I'm not very good at it, but done started is better than perfect so it's it's not like i think a lot of times we're like oh my gosh i you know what if i get this device out and i look i look like i don't know what i'm doing in front of the teacher like that's happened to me a million times you think (laughs) and then all of a sudden something's wrong so it's okay you can just say hey i don't know what's going on but i will help you figure it out i love that Mm -hmm. To look at it as a grand experiment instead of, you know, we're the experts and we know everything and everything that we do is perfect because things will happen with technology and with our knowledge. Always, always. Hmm. So let's, let's keep it on the AAC topic and thinking about, you know, new SLPs who are listening and what you would want them to know about AAC if they thought, okay, I want to do one thing today so that I can learn a little more about AAC, something that will get me a little more comfortable with AAC. What would you, and they just want sort of a bite-sized piece, what would you recommend that they do? I would, I think I would recommend making sure that you understand core vocabulary and the, and the importance of core vocabulary. I mean, there's, there's fringe vocabulary too, but that core vocabulary piece is really important and understanding because it's, it's universal across all devices and good, and good communication boards. Um, just, you know, become familiar with what is core vocabulary and see how the research backs it. It's really important not to just be like, oh, she said this is good, I'm gonna do this. You need to, you need to do a little bit of research and see, um, is there evidence behind this? And mm-hmm. there are some really good websites. I try to include a lot on, on um, my blog, on Beautiful Speech Life, and then 
practical AAC, that blog is a wealth of information. Yes, you it is. Always find something on there. I follow that one. And so I have kind of a, a quick question. What is your, I just am curious, what does your speech room look like? Oh, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what my speech room looks like. Okay. So it's, it has windows, which I am so thankful for. That's so important to me to be able to see outside. But what it also has is two staff bathrooms in the back of it. What? Yeah, it's actually, it's a, a room and it's got two restrooms. And so I had to divide from, like I divide away from the restrooms by using tall bookcases as dividers. <laughs> yeah. And I have a desk and I have a circle table. And then behind me, I have all my um, assistive technology and AAC items without any official storage. So it is definitely not a Pinterest worthy picture. <laughs> you don't have people walking through there to, to go and use one yeah. of the staff bathrooms. Oh man. I, I can't imagine one of my speech rooms at a school that I'm contracting with uh, shares a wall with the bathroom. And every time the toilet flushes, the kids are just like kind of jolted out of whatever we're mm -hmm. doing. And they're like, what was that? So I can't imagine also having people walk through. Well, it's not, it, this year it's not too bad because I'm serving the role as the uh, AT person for the district. And so most times I'm not seeing kids in my room. I'm going out to schools and seeing kids or going into the classroom. So it's okay for now. And I'm not going to have that next year. We're getting a brand new school. Oh, wow. So don't feel wow. for me. Although, you know, it's always, for SLPs in schools, it's always tricky. Always. Yeah. And we have a couple things before we wrap up. And I did want to mention, we wanted to also talk about having side gigs and um, side hustles, but we don't have time. So uh, if you would possibly come back at a future date, we would love to ask you those questions. Um, so we have two things. And the first, my first question is, is there anything we didn't ask you that, or information you'd like to share with our listeners? We talked about a lot. Um, yeah, I think I could just pick your brain for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and then before we go, can you give our listeners a self-care challenge? So a bite-sized thing that they can do to make their work or home life a little bit better this week. Yeah, I can do this from personal experience. I have a very busy mind that I have a really hard time quieting it. And I think because I do have so many side hustles as well as my full-time job, I started last June, I started meditating. And I have tried meditating my ever since I think I was 18 years old. My mom said she found me sitting on the closet floor one time. And she's like, Ann, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to meditate. <laughs> Good for you. I, I just haven't been successful at it. I, and I tried this app called Headspace and you can try it for free, I believe for 10 days. And it's very doable because it's just 10 minutes. And so I decided that I was going to commit to that. And so I have done it 
every day, I think I've only missed one day and I'm coming up on my one year mark. So it, it tracks your minutes and I'm at wow. over a thousand minutes meditating. And it has made, it's just 10 minutes. It has made a substantial difference in my, um, my focus level and my, uh, my ability to wait for things. So I would, that would be my challenge is to just try. It doesn't have to be that app. I'm sure there's lots of other ones. That one is just seemed to be the magic one for me and, um, try that, try that to that meditation. It's not woo woo. It's just like, it's just <laughs> learning to calm your mind. I love that. I actually just recently tried just for a week, just, and just five minutes. And somebody on our Instagram recommended an app called simple habit. And I used it and, and, and it did help. The, the thing was, I didn't stick with it, but I, that week I did know, I did, I did notice the difference. I did feel calmer and I actually think I slept better. Yes. Yes. You definitely sleep better too. So I, I should be one that follows through on that self-care challenge. because I, I believe it. Well, thank you for that tip, Anne, and we will definitely try it. And thank you for sharing all your expertise and coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm, I love your podcast. <gasps> you, you're a listener? I am. Oh, we're geeking out right now. And <laughs> would you possibly come back sometime soon so we can chat with you more? I would love to, yes. Okay, we would love that. Thanks, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of SLP Happy Hour. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you are a newer SLP or an SLP student, we hope this episode gave you a good snapshot of what it's really like to be an SLP. Wherever you are on your SLP journey, we hope you feel more connected and empowered by listening today and that you learn something along the way. Let's figure this out together. By sharing our experiences and perspectives, we can become more connected to each other and more forgiving of ourselves. Let's navigate through these thorny issues together. And as we do, remember you already know what you need to know to be an awesome SLP, and you already care as much as you need to care to be an awesome, caring SLP. We hope you enjoyed this show. As we talked about building rapport with difficult clients, we interviewed Anne Page from Beautiful Speech Life and discussed her experience working as an SLP and particularly her experiences with AAC and her AAC Academy. We hope that you found this conversation helpful and that you learned something along the way. Each episode, we share a way you can support our podcast. This week, it's subscribing. Subscribe to our page so you know when new episodes come out. Also, a bonus, please visit our Patreon page, even if you don't become a member for those freebies that we have posted. We have free content on there that you will want to check out, including sneak previews of what's coming up for our new episodes. If you want to connect with us, you can visit our website, slphappyhour.com, or find us on social media as slphappyhour. We have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And the Facebook. And the Facebook. <laughs> so wherever you like to be social, chances are we are there. We hope you enjoyed the show and that this 
with a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. We've enjoyed recording it. Thank you for listening. Until next time. We love to get social with you. We'd love to get social with you. We love to get social. <laughs> We're speech-language pathologists. Check and out our social skills. Social with you. <laughs> so we mad social skills. We think we do. <laughs>